0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Scenes Consumer Product Marketing brought to you by ShareBird. In each episode, you'll get a behind the scenes look at some of the most innovative product marketing campaigns at some of the world's best known companies and brands. I'm your host, Meredith Davis, and today I'm here with Amber Finlay, Senior Director of the Sneakers app at Nike, who is going to give us a behind the scenes look at how her team bootstrapped a live streaming experience on the Sneakers app. I don't think Nike needs any explanation here, but Amber specifically works on the team that creates the sneakers app and experience, which includes their digital platform for hype sneaker launches, as well as digital launches across partner independent sneaker stores known informally as Neighborhood. Quick background on the sneakers app, the app launched back in 2015 as a conscious decision by Nike to invest in its digital direct-to-consumer capabilities. Since then, the sneakers app has become an incredible asset for Nike, growing faster than any other digital channel for the brand. Over the past year and a half, the team has focused on launching and scaling the app's live stream capabilities to help build community, connection, and intimacy for the sneaker enthusiasts. The launch of Livestream is a perfect example of how product marketing teams can listen to the core customer, understand market trends, and build a product that really serves key user needs, which is why I couldn't be more excited to have Amber Finlay here with us today. So Amber, thank you so much for being on the show. It's great to have you here.
1: Thank you. Likewise, it's great to be here. I'm pretty excited.
0: So quick need to know, how many Nike sneakers do you own or what is your favorite (laughs) pair?
1: I don't know if I could count them. Currently, my favorite pair is a pair of Patta Air Max ones that just came out. They have a little wave on them. I am a huge Air Max fan. I have a lot of Air Maxes. I'm a huge Hirachi fan. I have a lot of Hirachis. So I kind of look at them as like, you know, I'm into certain models and I try to keep my collection a <laughs> bit more focused because otherwise it can get a little out of control.
0: And you've been in the footwear space for over eight years now. Were you a sneakerhead before or what do you love about the industry?
1: Yes, I was, which has changed a lot over the years. So I think when I first got into collecting sneakers or like buying sneakers, not just walking into a store, I was in late college and then into grad school. So those are the days when you might go on eBay and buy some dunks, or you might go to skate shops or smaller boutique sneaker stores. I was living in Boston, I think in 2002 in grad school. And there were a lot of great little sneaker shops in Boston. So me and one of my friends the time were really very into dunks. And so we yeah. developed a little bit of a habit of collecting them. And since then, I've always kind of been excited about the space, always stayed up to date on what launches were happening. And then I went to work at Converse and my sneaker collection got considerably bigger. And yeah, it's always been an important part of, I think, fashion to me.
0: Yeah, I mean the one thing I just can't understand is the sneakers that you never wear in a glass box. My partner has the Grateful Dead bright green fuzzy wow. sneakers. That's quite a get. <laughs> yes, in a glass box. And I'm like, why don't you wear them? And he's like, oh, no, I can't.
1: <laughs> That's so funny. Those are pretty rare. It's funny. We did a poll on the sneakers app that said, are you going to wear these? Or are you going to skate in them? Like, I think it was like shred or keep them on ice. And a lot of people said they would wear them. They would try them. They would skateboard in them, which you're kind of props to that. Yeah, Uh, But yeah, I would love to say I don't have pairs in a box (laughs) somewhere, but I certainly have doubles that I bought where I'm like, okay, I'm going to wear one pair and then keep the other one for later.
0: (laughs) Right, exactly. And how have you seen the industry kind of change over these past couple of years?
1: Yeah, I think it's been really interesting because I think you see sneaker culture going from something that was very subculture, uh, certain groups were into it. It's a very deep culture, a lot of it kind of existing at the city level, at the neighborhood level, where people know their local sneaker shop. They know the provenance behind all of these models. They have their community locally, and you've seen it through digital platforms get to be something that is at a global scale where you can kind of for the first time see all all of the people that are interested in this area. And the analogy we always make is on the street, you can go and you can see how many people are in line for a drop at a sneaker shop. But when you get to the digital space, you realize there's a lot more people in that line than maybe you previously thought, but there isn't that visibility. You're able to see it. So I would just say like, it's been interesting to see not only the interest in streetwear kind of blossom and virgin, I would say since over the past five years, I think streetwear has probably become. More mainstream, I think, especially since you've seen fashion brands like luxury brands veer more into a streetwear playbook like the Louis Vuitton or the Dior's of the world. So I think it's gotten a lot more scale because of that. And then sneakers, as a byproduct of street culture, have kind of gone along that same route where you now see luxury brands getting into that offering space. So it's been interesting to see it become much more of a pop culture phenomenon, but also still retain this sort of like OG core community that is very deeply rooted in sneaker culture and yeah, just have been there since the start. So I think you have like a neighborhood that's populated by a lot more people than maybe it once was.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting way to think about it. And I know that along with the changes in the industry with streetwear becoming more mainstream and popular, I also think that there's been this migration from retail, brick and mortar, Mm -hmm. to the digital space and also the interconnection between the two. And I know that Nike has kind of like a suite of channels and apps. So for those who might not be as familiar with the sneakers app, App, what is the difference between the Nike app and the sneakers app?
1: Yeah. So the sneakers app I would say is just a much more focused space, very much dedicated to a hardcore community of sneaker lovers. Whether you just started getting into sneakers or whether you've been in the game a long time, it's a space that's expressly focused on that type of consumer where they're very deep down the rabbit hole of sneakers. So all of the content you see, All of the features and capabilities, everything developed in the sneakers app is very much dedicated to aid people that are trying to collect hype footwear and want to go pretty deep in terms of the origin stories and the backgrounds behind those sneakers. So... We certainly have some of the same products on our Nike app and people who shop on Nike app, myself, I'm one of them too. I'm sure they love sneakers as well. The sneaker space is really just a more dedicated zone for those more hyped and special pairs of sneakers that have the provenance and the storytelling behind them.
0: I mean, this consumer audience must be huge to merit its own platform and channel in and of itself that has its own separate content and drops and exclusives. How has the understanding of this segment come to be?
1: Yeah, and it certainly... It is a big audience. It's gotten much bigger over the past few years. I think even especially because of the pandemic, people started to dip their toe into areas that they weren't previously paying attention to. They started to look at categories where they could dive deep and collect something. So our user base has grown exponentially since even the start of the pandemic in March, 2020. But I think it's an interesting space because there are a lot of people in it. The sneakers app globally gets millions of active users a week. And a lot of people tend to come back very frequently to the sneakers app and kind of see what's going on. I think we have a lot of surprises. We have a lot of things where kind of, if you know, you know, but it's been interesting to see this universe expand as much as it has. And I think some people are excited about it and just are kind of like, Hey, this is the way it's going to be. And that's a good thing for people who love sneakers. That means we'll have more things designed for us and more product to kind of fall in love with. And then there's a downside because, you know, you tend to get less of what you want, which is never the outcome that you hope for, but it's part of quickly scaling community.
0: And I think what's interesting about this community and what Nike as a company has done is that I think we used to think that products started in a lab. And I think Mm -hmm. now we're realizing that everything spins off of the consumer. And while Mm -hmm. technology is really important and the products are really important, consumers lead innovation. And we have to innovate for specific reasons. And those reasons come from the market. What were you seeing from this community that started to lead to the ideation of starting the live stream?
1: Yeah. Well, sneakers users and consumers in the sneaker culture kind of space, they're not shy. (laughs) They're always talking about what they wish for, what they want to happen, what is wrong with the space of acquiring sneakers. So I think we're fortunate in that we work with a very candid community of people who are very smart and just like are incredibly attuned to like what this world should look like and what would be good and what would not be good. Right. So I feel like we, there's an embarrassment of riches there. There's lots of different sneakerhead accounts to follow on Twitter, on YouTube, on Instagram, and on places like Discord. A lot of servers dedicated to sneaker collecting. So there's a lot for us to listen to. And also we like to talk to our users and just people who are in sneaker culture and some of the cities that we have a presence in. So I know our team tends to chat with some of our users like at least once a week, a lot of Nike store employees They kind of hear on the ground what people are hoping for, what they like, what they don't like. So just trying to make sure that we have a bunch of avenues to kind of hear the big requests, the grievances, which are always helpful too, but then also ways for us to talk to people directly and get a little bit deeper on like, hey, would you do this if it were available to you? What are you interested in? And for us to start experiments. And I think we always come into things with sort of an experimental mindset where we're like, hey, we're going to put this out there. We're going to try it, see what traction we get, and then we'll decide where we take it from there. And that's very much how this live stream platform started. So I think even before the pandemic, we were talking about how the fact that our launches kind of occur in these specific moments on Thursday mornings and on Saturday mornings are usually our big drops. And everyone who's in the app is kind of collectively waiting there for the time that they've joined the launch till when they get their result, they get their got them or if it didn't work out, they get notified. But it's sort of this moment where everyone is like waiting. We initially, talked about having that moment be something where we had a live stream, which still could be very interesting, but a couple of our engineers and one designer on our team started tinkering just in the background of their day-to-day work, what live streaming functionality might look like on the app. So we have a test app, we kind of do use it for experimentation, and they were kind of knocking together a rough version of what live stream could look like. And I think as we've talked about it in the past, we always differentiate between There's live stream where you're like, okay, I'm going to watch a concert live. It's going to be a lean back viewing experience. I'm just kind of there to see it. To interactive live streaming where I can vote for something. I can ask a question. I can maybe like show up in the live stream. And it was that notion of interactive live streaming that we really felt would be special to bring into sneakers. So that's how it started and it's a kind of a crazy thing to think back on. I think it was in February and March of 2020.
0: Yeah, you're in the Here throes of COVID.
1: <laughs> like I think the first week of like people were really starting to not leave their house was one of the weeks when we developed the vision of hey, here's what live streams going to be. Here's the MVP. Here are the use cases and we're sort of building that almost early pilot plan off the back of what our two amazing engineers and designer had knocked up. So it was interesting because you were like, okay, I'm just gonna shut out the rest of what's going on right now and focus on this, which could be cool. I think it was an incredible time. It was the time when you had some DJs DJing live sessions for, on Instagram live. So I think it started to come into the forefront of everyone's mind as like, oh, we could be in our house for a while. What oh
0: yeah. I remember house? my Saturday <laughs> nights tuning in to DJs and old Grateful Dead. (laughs) Oh yeah. And like that was your Saturday night. Yeah. yeah. I think what's interesting is that the sneakers app has played a critical role in driving engagement even before the health mm-hmm. crisis. Yeah. With fewer people visiting stores and in-store efforts becoming really secondary to digital sales channels. However, I do think the pandemic led to with non-essential businesses being locked down, really Nike having to switch gears and emphasize on digital. And this is all happening when live streaming was starting to come into creation. So what was it like for you at that time? And what was the thought process?
1: Yeah, it's funny because our focus is always the direct digital space, because so that's what we work on. But clearly there are lots of spaces where consumers can go and access Nike products. It's true that more of a focus was put into our digital direct channels. We could serve consumers that were still out there like with needs, but still wanted to buy things. I think one of the insane spikes we saw, which completely makes sense, is in workouts. So our Nike Training Club and Nike Run Club app had insane spikes in usership, and they're still kind of carrying some of that through, but you just saw a lot of people needing to run, needing to work out and they had to do so from their home. So there were a lot of digital platforms and channels that I think were part of people's lives beforehand that became maybe part of their everyday in that timeframe and probably part of what helped them keep their sanity. So it was an interesting time to see that. And I think especially again, I think people started to look at what else they could do and started to think about things like collecting. I think people just started to become hyper-conscious almost of like, what are the communities I could start to dig into at this point in time? I feel connected. Yeah, like, who can I, like, I'm going to go down the crypto rabbit hole, or I'm going to go over here and learn how to meditate. And then you had some people who were like, I'm going to get super into sneakers and streetwear, and I'm going to be a part of this community. And we did see a lot of growth over that since that time. And I think you saw people starting to collect other things where it's funny because we had some users where you would talk to them and they were like, oh, I'm really into sneakers, but now I'm also like really into Pokemon Go and these other things. People were really just looking for like, what are things I can just dive into?
0: Let's write. Yeah. And so at at this point now, you know, you've over the past year and a half, you've grown live stream from an MVP to almost a mini TV network of its own. What has been the milestones that you've been tracking towards through this launch? Or what is the experience like? What has the experience been in this year and a half in testing, iterating, and scaling?
1: Yeah, it's been interesting because we went from this MVP internal trial area in the late spring of 2020, and then we partnered with our EMEA Europe team and specifically in the UK market to test it out because we had never run this before. We needed to see how many people would show up, whether we could withstand all the voting, kind of getting our metrics dashboard knocked up, figuring out the numbers we wanted to look at. So it was a heavy, heavy period of experimentation, but I think the thing we all realized, early on is like, no one is going to show up for something that's not interesting, no matter how cool the functionality is. So we really just, again, went back to focusing on our user and our consumer. And we know the type of stuff they want. They want to see other people's collections. They want to go deep with Nike designers. They want to see samples. They want to see things that they can't see anywhere else. So that's really like what guided us to the programming we started out with, where we had two folk. Lucian and Will, who were initial test hosts and Lucian works on my team and Will worked in the UK team and we're just testing out them. And then we were like, you know what? I think these are the people. They had a great rapport. They knew everything about sneakers. and could carry out amazing conversations. So we kind of started off really simple. Obviously everyone was home in their own space. It was interesting to build this not with like a studio and producers and equipment. We had to basically send a kit to people's homes and test their Wi-Fi and make sure they could stream and give them a little tripod and experiment with what types of headphones are the best and are we getting audio in a good way. So it was a lot to figure out, I would say, on top of how you might normally build a live streaming practice because we had to make sure people could do it themselves, which I think was doubly interesting. So you kind of had us starting off with people streaming from their sneaker closets I love that
0: so much. (laughs) I love hearing these bootstrap stories within larger companies, because I think that there is this like misconception that once you're at a big company like Nike, there's major processes and you have all these resources and you have all this budget and you can still be pretty scrappy. And I think as product marketers, it's important to know that you have the power to show strong consumer insights and data to back up a test that you want to run and get important validation in order to go to market with something. Yeah. would love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. And this was one where we were able to get the data side was pretty interesting too, because we had to decide like, Hey, what do we care about? Do we care about like if the most people possible show up or do we care more if they stay for the whole stream? And I think for us, I'm like, we really care if they stay, we care if they stay and we care if they come back next week. So I think that got us into the mindset of, Hey, if we're going to do this, it needs to be consistent. We need to have a weekly show. People need to know when to show up. And we started to build that way. And the consistency has really helped because people start to get attached to the hosts and they have the context of the last shows. We started doing little mini battles between the hosts where they kind of would compete to show off their pairs that they've been wearing and the audience would vote on who won each week. So I think we started little by little to just have like it be really focused on regular sneaker collectors, guests who were very much deeply rooted in the sneakers community. So we would have people that sometimes work the floor at different sneaker stores, people that were merchandisers. We had some of our own designers who had worked on some amazing sneakers, both on the Jordan and on the Nike side. So we really started off with having this be almost like kind of buy sneakerheads for sneakerheads. And that I think helped us stay focused on where we needed to go and how we wanted to grow. So really that consistency and just programming uh, week over week was once you had that to plan for, there wasn't room for a lot else. So we're like, let's just see where we get to with this. Let's see how we can grow our audience. Let's see what problems we bump into that we might have to solve. And then, yeah, just pivot from there.
0: So I think one thing that I've heard you say throughout chatting together is buy sneakerhead or for sneakerheads, buy sneakerheads and really understanding the customer. And I think as product marketers, we are really banging our hands on the table being advocates for the customer. Time and time again, I do hear people say, you know, like the role of product marketing is to be the voice of the customer. What do you feel like this actually means to you? And how does this actually come to be in practice at Nike?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. I feel like it means you always are kind of thinking about what would be most important to them and what would be the most impactful. And on my team, and I think on other teams, a lot of that is about as much about deciding what you don't need to put in the feature as it is deciding what you do need to put in. And I think a lot of our work is spent, it's almost like this over that type exercise. Like, would you sacrifice this to get this other thing? And kind of doing that, like almost in a bracket style where you start to get to like, okay, these are the three most important things to have in this MVP. Everything else is a nice to have, but these are the things we need to bring to the community. I feel like it's sort of this act of ruthless editing through the eyes of the user and the consumer where you have to focus to get something built and get it out there. It's always better to build something, ship it, try it out, and then figure out through that engagement, like what do we feel like we're missing? What do we feel like would be really helpful for them or exciting? Versus try to guess at all of it from the start. So I always look at it as like, if I'm the user and I'm going to be scratching my head and saying, hey, why did they build this instead of that? I like doing that this over that exercise.
0: And how do you think about doing this exercise with product teams? Like for the product marketers listening to this episode, what are some tips in making sure that you are prioritizing the right things for the customer?
1: Yeah. And in our studio, we're kind of all together, like we all work as one team. Yeah, we're very seamless. Like from the start, we share everything together and we're deciding like we're going to do that, this over that exercise together. And then if we feel like, Hey, you know what, there's something we don't know about how users feel about this, or we'd like to get some more knowledge. Our team can figure out how to go off and get that and bring that back so we can all digest it. So it is really more of like a fluid conversation with our digital product teams, at least in our studio, everyone is pretty tight. So it was interesting to kind of go through this process together and together with engineering too, Because again, it was a very small, like kind of Scrappy team
0: building this particular value drop. And so when you say it started Scrappy and you're planning out your launch and scale process, was it just one live stream a week for X amount of time? How did you figure out what the exit criteria was for this beta MVP phase and then to scale it? And I think now you have about five varying shows weekly across Mm -hmm. Europe, North America and Japan, I believe.
1: That's right. Correct. So for us, we have a pilot that we need to move through on the functionality side. So we're like, we're going to ramp 10%, 25%, 50% of an audience on up to a hundred. And at each phase, we're going to see, are we running into bugs? Are we then resolving those bugs? Kind of going through like the functionality process, like I'm kicking the tires. Does this thing work? Right. But at the same time, we get to figure out, okay, well, what kind of programming do people like the best? Is this feeling like it's working on the production side? Like what are the things we're about, because we're both also bumping into on the other side, kind of like what you were saying, like be having people produce a TV show from their closets. Right. (laughs) So so bumping into things like lighting or the colors they can't wear because the type is coming over them, framing and how to do all that. And we were also straddling time zones because we were testing in the UK. So it was kind of like this five hour time difference as we were trying to get all this done. So Uh it was a lot of stuff we had sort of had to move through to figure out like, okay, how can I get this into shape where I can feasibly hand it off to one of our geography teams and they can go and produce a show themselves. So a lot of that was not only just making sure functionally Sneakers Live work, programming wise, giving people a playbook to say like, hey, here are the shows that have been working best. Here's a template of how to reproduce them in your own markets. But also in terms of the resources and the teams that need to work on this, we had needs for folks that we never had before. So we needed people that could be an author of the experience, but also like one of the tech producers, we needed people to be running the streaming side, we needed people to open up like a remote computer on Amazon Web Services.
0: Had you done any of this before in your prior experience? Or was this pretty um, new for you?
1: <laughs> I done it with partners before. So I'd done a couple live streams, but like with Twitter, it was with a partner that was like, Oh, we know what we're doing. And I was just thinking about the front of camera stuff. This was really like, it was our own platform. So we were Really building from the start, like, hey, how is this functionally gonna work? Like again in a space where you're not in the room with the producer. They can't hold up a sign to you as the host. No one can cue you. So we we're in a situation where like one of our hosts is streaming from their phone at home, but they had like Slack open on the laptop where people are I mean, in directions. That
0: first live stream for you, <laughs> what was going through your mind? <laughs> you're like crossing your <laughs> fingers. Oh God. I think I was just like, make sure we tell
1: people that this is a brand new thing and that we're just trying it out. Because I think a lot of our audience is pretty excited to like be a part of something new and we're like, yeah, I'll roll with you for this. I'll be here as you try it out. And just like caveating that it's going to be pretty clunky was where we started with the first, because I think like the subject matter kind of won out overall. And you saw people in those early days, like we had some incredible guests just from like these sneaker doors where they were like merchants and people talking about their own collections one guy that had just like a ton of Nike Prestos and he was like going down that rabbit hole which is like I think the subject matter just eventually like won people over and the guests where you're like all right I don't care that like your internet just went out because we're in second stage pandemic I we care that you show me the next pair which was kind of a nice spot to get
0: So when you were thinking about the external communications plan and go to market, did you first start with just letting your community, your sneakerhead community know those who were already a part of the app? And then did you kind of scale to announce more publicly or how did that work?
1: Yeah. And we mainly work through our platform, not exclusively, but we start with our community. So one of the things that we wanted to make sure was that we were scaling sneakers live quickly enough that everyone could have access to it. So once we were done with this pilot in the UK, we then had to scale it to the rest of Europe. And then we had to move to North America and get parity on iOS and Android, which we've only, I think, just like fully started to get to. So it's a long road before everyone has access to it. And I think we wanted to make sure that we were at critical mass both in terms of like the people who could access it and also the programming before we were to kind of go out more broadly and talk about it but I would say even now we've mainly spread through the people who show up every week you kind of see the conversation on Twitter and on social when our shows are on we have a hashtag called sneakers live heating up that's one of our weekly shows where we just talk about upcoming launches and you kind of see people starting to participate we've started to do things where we do a thing called kick check in the app, but now also on Sneakers Live where we're taking users' photos, kind of saying like, oh, here's what people are wearing each week. We're baking functionality where people can ask a question in the feature. So I think we've grown more organically than anything else. There was never really like an announcement with fanfare, like Sneakers Live Mm -hmm. now open. We've had big moments in our geographies where they really took the feature and blew it out for a special day or for a special moment. We have a sneakers day moment in the Europe market where it's like the anniversary date of sneakers there. So they had live stream programming all that day with all these different great partners. We did a bunch of streams on Air Max Day in North America and Europe last year. So we've had days when it feels louder than the weekly shows where people start to understand that, oh, there's a bunch of shows that could come here and watch on sneakers. But I would say it's been more of like a steady trajectory in terms of viewership retention, again, like throughout the stream and then people coming back week over week. So I would say it's grown more organically.
0: And so Phil Knight has been quoted in saying that Nike is a marketing-oriented company and that the products are really the most important marketing tool. And he's actually shared that marketing, in his mind, knits the whole organization together. The design elements, the functional characteristics, and the product itself are just parts of the overall marketing process. Would you agree with this statement? And what do you think is product marketing's role in particular within the sneakers app?
1: Yeah, I think that's probably two things. I agree with the statement because most of what you're doing in marketing is like, you're telling the story of that product. And if it has a good story, that's what people are going to want to hear. They want to hear about how a sneaker was created. They want to hear if it's based on a specific moment. They really want to go deep. So I would say as a marketer generally, beyond just product marketing, it's kind of your job to find what are those amazing tidbits that went into creating this product and how can I bring them to the world for product marketing, I guess it's similar to me. It's a little bit of a different beast. It's what are we going to make that feels simple and amazing for people to use? And if it involves content, what are we going to put through it? That feels like musty programming, because I feel like you could have an amazing experience, but your programming is kind of boring and no one will come back just because you have the best buttons or the most seamless load times, but you could have programming on the other hand, that was fantastic. And people will really forgive like, Oh, you know what? These things didn't work, but I saw. An amazing show. And I learned all this stuff and I got to show off my knowledge about the sneaker. So I feel like the focus really has to be, what are you pushing through the feature that really makes it sing? And how are you making sure that you know, what's important to you when it comes to the feature? Like, do you know that it's more important to you that people keep coming back? Or are you looking for like a big splash? And I think it's not the same answer for every piece of functionality you launch or every product that you bring to the table. It's kind of knowing like what you need out of it and what the use out of it.
0: And how do you see the power of membership playing into the role of the sneakers app, but also kind of like consumer engagement? Because I do know that it's all interconnected from the Nike training app and the Nike app and other kind of like personal experiences within the whole kind of like family of apps and retail. How do you think about that in relation to streaming?
1: Yeah, I guess I think about it how anyone else thinks like we're all members of lots of things. Um, I'm probably a member of more things than I know I've signed (laughs) up for. But you think about it as like, well, what am I getting for this? What am I getting for signing up and maybe paying sometimes, maybe not paying other times and being a member? When you think about it for like, say a museum, like you're like, oh, do I get early access to go see this exhibit? Or do I get to bring guests? Or are there exclusive like t-shirts or pieces of merchandise that are only for members? And it's kind of the same thing when it comes to like Nike membership, there are lots of special things that are there and created for people that are along that membership journey. And I think the same for sneakers. We think about it not so much in, we think about it with product you might access, but also experiences. So it's sort of like, if you're a member and you show up every week to sneakers live for a month, you should get something and you should be rewarded. So we've done things like we have exclusive access, which is a way that we deliver product access to specific people in the app for some coveted footwear or apparel. And we've been able to look at things like, this is a group of people who showed up for every live stream in the past month. They got all of the poll questions right about these sneakers. So they are going to get this exclusive access to this product. So I think it's about, if you're going to spend time with us and show up with us, then we need to be delivering things of value to you, the member. And sometimes that is in the form of physical product. And sometimes it's in the form of experiences. And what's valuable to a member in the sneakers app is again, like it's very sneaker centric. It's access to those designers. It's a chance to like show off knowledge. Then I'm also obviously a member of Nike training club and Nike run club and the benefits are different there, but it's all very tailored for each community. So, and I think the experiential benefits are something that those are the special things where you can't get them anywhere else.
0: How do you think the experiential aspect within marketing, especially in this industry, is going to be progressing in the next couple of years? Because I do think that it's not just brick and mortar anymore. It is these like mm-hmm. digital experiences that help build engagement, loyalty, but also most importantly, trust.
1: Yeah, it's funny. It sounds so cheesy. It sounds like a marketing deck from like 2016. Uh, right? to be, like, people collect experiences. But, but is it's, it true? It's true. Right, yeah. it's true. You're like, I want to, and not in like an Instagram influencer way where you're like, I'm just going on this vacation so I could take pictures of it. But I think some of the stuff that's a real benefit, those that are things you remember are the experiences you have. Like maybe you're a member of something and you get invited to like this talk with a person that is a major source of inspiration for you. I think about like the Second Street Y, or I think about like things like film clubs or stuff like that, where it's like, oh, I'm a member and I'm getting access to these things that kind of make me more ingrained in the community. They're are these bonding mechanics that happen when you're a part of something that is a little bit special. And I feel like that's, that's going to become more and more an expected part of what membership is for people is like, okay, what are you giving me that like feeds my interests, that makes me more of an angry and part of this community? And that gives me something to talk about. And I think we'll start to see more and more of that, which is pretty exciting
0: so now live stream has been out for over a year and a half at this point. What have you learned throughout this process? Because I know yeah. there has been some feedback and backlash from just the overhype. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I wouldn't say it's like backlash to the live streaming. It's more just like there are a lot of people who want sneakers right now. And yeah, it's become a very crowded space. And there are things we're working on. Fairness is a huge priority for us. We're really trying to create the fairest experience possible. Knowing that fairness means different things to different folks. I've read like academic papers. In some senses, it means like, oh, the person who wants it the most gets it. And that's fair. And in other opinions, it's okay, equal opportunity is fairness. So I think as we start to figure out what we're building next, a lot of it is focused on a fair experience. I would say Sneakers Live is, it's an experience for people that are dedicated, they want to go deep, and they kind of want to show up for this bonding moment every week. And we're going to continue to build in more ways for them to be a part of it. So like I said, we're focusing on more audience participation, more things where it's interactive. Like right now we have polling and we have people kind of sending stuff via hashtag if they want to show up. We've even had a couple episodes where regular viewers show up as guests and get to show up their collections, which were really exciting episodes. So I think we're going to start to do more of that because what we've seen with specifically Sneakers Live is that people want to see other collectors like themselves. They want to go deep and they want to show up and be a part of it too. So again, we go back to listening to the user and that's what they're asking for when it comes to sneakers live. So it's an exciting time to build all of that.
0: And what are you most excited about or most curious about in kind of the next thinking year or so of this product growth?
1: Yeah, I'm very curious and excited about dropping actual product in Sneakers Live. So, we've done that. We've been able to drop product in streams, which is always like an amazing surprise for people. It's been nice to have some of our designers and collaborators be able to say, and you know what? You get access to it right now and have that moment where they're dropping product to the fans who showed up for them, which is such an incredible moment of connection where they're able to be the ones to press the button and say, like, okay, you have access right now to this product that is highly coveted. I think more of that and figuring out how to make this more seamlessly integrated with the way people want to shop is a really fun area to start to unravel. And we're starting to do it now. We're starting to think about it on other platforms, but really I think just diving into how do people want to get product? How do they want to access it? What makes it feel special? And again, takes it beyond like a transactional thing and more of like an emotional bond.
0: Yeah. And as the world opens back up again and retail is becoming or people are going back to retail, how do you think about the balance between and almost them supporting the sneakers app and retail supporting each Mm -hmm. other to build a holistic customer experience and journey?
1: Yeah, and Nike has lots of mechanics that connect online platforms with our IRL stores and experiences. So things are fairly connected. I think, especially with sneakers, we think a lot about our partner sneaker doors. So the mom and pop sneaker shops, smaller chains, stores where sneaker culture sort of lives and that are the center of sneaker culture in their cities and neighborhoods. So the more we can help those doors with our resources and capabilities the better so we have functionality like sneakers pass which is a mechanic that you can reserve a pair and a size on the app but then go pick it up at a neighborhood store and it's their inventory so they're selling their inventory we're just giving them a way to organize and do it in a safe secure way on the app so I think creating more functionality that's in service of those shops that are so central to sneaker culture is where a lot of thinking for us is at right now specifically with sneakers in the neighborhood.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And super exciting. I have just one more question for you. It's kind of actually outside of the product and more around your experience getting into product marketing. I've seen that you have kind of almost had a role across the marketing stack from communications (laughs) to advertising. How did you find your way into product marketing? Was it stumbled in by happy accident? Or was it planned?
1: It was not planned. It's so funny to think back because I worked in advertising for the first like advertising marketing for the first like 10 years of my career across like all different sizes of agency, like full service digital shops, big old school, mad men shops, all sorts of things, Done TV ads and radio ads. And then like mostly flipped to like the digital space after a certain point. But I think the projects that I liked most on the agency side were ones that were on digital product. So I did a few projects earlier in my career where we were working on an app or a piece of functionality. I did a few with Google and a few others where you're like, you know what, it's really interesting to dive in and figure out what are the coolest things about these pieces of technology and how do we bring that to people in a way that's where they're like, oh, you know what, I want to go try that. Because I think what I learned early in those experiences is that people who built the product, they're like, I'm going to tell you how this works. I'm going to tell you everything that it does, but that that might not be the most compelling story to an end user. And I think we see that now in the VC space, people are always talking about product market fit. I've built this thing, but I don't know who it's for yet. And I think being on the marketing side, you can kind of start to pull those threads out and be like, you know what? I can, there are pieces of this that I think will make it appealing and the right for these types of people. And just kind of finding the threads of those stories and being able to pull them to the surface was interesting. But then the more interesting space is like, oh, well, I can go from the start and build these things from the ground up for an audience that I know is thirsty. They're there and they're very immersed. So to me, I really like actually being able to build things. And I think if you talk to advertising folks or marketing folks, there's always the point where you're like, you go really, really broad. You've done all these things. You're working at like a very high strategic level, but you don't get to make the stuff anymore. And I think you see a lot of people at a certain point, like narrow back up. Like if you think of it as like a diamond shape, you're like, I'm going to go from a specialty to like going more broad and then realize that it's cool to be a specialist and you can right. get sharp again. And I feel like that's been my trajectory is worked across all of these things, but I really do love actually being able to be in the guts of something from the start to the finish and then make sure other people can go use it in a seamless way. So the bad analogy I always give for product marketing and together with digital product is like we know the people who want to buy this house. We're going to build the house and we're going to design it in an amazing way for them. But then other people need to go live in it and you need to be able to use it. You need to be able to like turn the lights on yourself. So we need to make sure this is all intuitive and that amazing things can happen within these spaces. So I like the idea of building the architecture of something with potential for things to go into it that I haven't even imagined.
0: I love that analogy. I've never heard that, but I might take that one for the next episode.
1: Everyone I work (laughs) with is probably really sick of it.
0: Oh my God, that's too funny. (laughs) I feel that a lot of listeners of this podcast in particular, either thinking about making a career switch into product marketing or early stages in their career in product marketing. What would you say for those who might be in comms or advertising or kind of in those specialist roles in marketing who are interested in product marketing, what are some tips in making that switch?
1: Yeah. I would say like, first of all, just get really attuned to listening to end users or consumers. I think like, especially in advertising, there's a little bit of this attitude where those are like regular people and we know what's best because this is our craft. And that's not really true because look at TikTok right now. Regular people like streaming from their bedrooms are selling more than big TV ads and it's not really a science. Um, right? And I think people are recognizing that now, especially with, technology being married as I saw a girl make this amazing like Sprite product video where the kid looked exactly like you'd spent 40 hours shooting it in a studio We you were like, okay, I think that world might be over. But I would say really diving in and being able to listen to what people need, like not maybe what they're asking for, but maybe like a deficit and what their experience is and start to extract like what are the most important things to those people? Because I feel like that's the building blocks for a good product is like, again, I need to throw away everything we could could do and I need to get to the most important things that this thing should do at the start and then we can add stuff as we go so I feel like again being really good at listening to and kind of being a consumer and user detective detective is a good word an editor like a ruthless editor of like hey what don't we need which should always be more stuff than what you do need and then again just having that experimental mindset and going into things really I'm going to pilot this but I'm not going to presume the outcome because there's things that you just have to test. So I think being able to shed some of that hubris that you might know everything that's going to happen and be able to figure out like, what is a really good rigorous test of this? And how can I kind of push to all the corners I need to push to, to really see how people are using it. I think like that kind of attitude, that experimental attitude, that editor attitude is sort of, those are good things to hone. I think if you want to get into product marketing.
0: This is awesome and super helpful. I can't thank you enough for being on the show I'm sure that there's going to be quite a few people interested in learning more about the sneakers app, live streaming, the product marketing org within Nike. So what is the best way for people to learn more or reach out and get in touch about roles?
1: So there's always careers.nike.com. So you can always go and look at Nike careers and lots of roles. For me specifically, I'm welcome for anyone to reach out. LinkedIn, I will probably be very slow to respond. (laughs) Twitter, I'm at it's underscore Amber. Pretty easy to find. Probably more responsive there. But yeah, welcome. I always feel like if someone, you know, reaches out, you kind of owe it to them to take some time. And I like the idea of younger people trying to figure out
0: their way through an So yeah, shooting questions my way. Awesome. Well thanks again and everyone thanks for tuning in.